0: Welcome back to part two with Dave Osborne. He is a director of 2D and 3D and known for his amazing animation all around the world. And currently he has just finished um, Lego's Nexo Knights and Mr. Bean. And he's got a project coming up with Netflix. So let's welcome David back. Hi, Dave.
1: Hello, everybody. Nice to be back.
0: Yeah, and we are recording live. How are we all doing? yeah we're recording live with dave dave can you let everyone know where you're um coming live from today
1: yeah i'm I'm coming live from london in the uk and uh it's um it's been a lovely sunny day here today for once
0: yeah and so dave um works in animation and he was letting us know in part one when he was a little boy um, your father you said worked at a, a milk dairy farm was it it, it
1: was a dairy. It was a dairy, uh, you know, bottling bottling milk.
0: Okay, so he was bottling milk, and um, you would have these every year. They would have these. Um, was it a company picnic, or you said where they had the projection?
1: Um, it, well, it, it was a, it was a Christmas party for the kids. It was all for the kids of the employees, and uh, what would happen is that they would sort of, um, you know, we'd have the various things, the jelly and ice cream, and all of the sort of things that you tend to have in the UK for parties for kids and um then we would have a film show uh, before they brought in santa claus and uh, you know my earliest experience of animation was watching tom and jerry's you know on a, on a screen being projected by um a 16 millimeter projector and, and it's you know it's what got me hooked into animation
0: yeah so so uh, at your at your father's christmas party where all the kids and all your friends got to go your brother did you have brothers and sisters too <sighs>
1: Yeah, um, my my brother and sister are quite a bit older than me, so they sort of left home by that point. They, I, I think they didn't really want much to do, their little brother. But, um, no, I mean, they, they were much older than me. So I sort of, in, in a way, it's probably why I ended up with the animation side of things, because it was something I occupied myself a little bit, you know. Um, I didn't have any siblings around. They sort of left home. And, uh, you know, if you're if you're interested in drawing and whatever, it's a kind of, I suppose it's an individual thing. It's a self-contained thing to a certain extent, you know, which is probably why I, I, I it sort of fulfilled my needs at that time, you know?
0: Yeah, you're, you're watching Tom and Jerry, you're eating ice cream and cake, and then just you're finding your love for this. So I want to ask you, was there a favorite film growing up? Also, like, I know Tom and Jerry you, you fell in love with at this office party at your dad's company, but was there any films that you went to as well that you just fell in love with? Um.
1: I suppose, like most kids in those days, I was taken to the cinema, um, you know, and it, at that point, the, the films that I mean, really, the only animated films that came to the cinema were the Disney ones. And of course, we're talking really the sort of Disney classic ones like Snow White and Seven Dwarves, Um, you know. But the one I remember being taken to probably quite young again, and I actually have to confess there, it was my sister who took me, um, was... Um, Jungle Book, and again, I, I, you know, it was it was one of those things, you know, seeing, again, you know, as we as talked about in part one, you know, we mentioned, you know, the world was black and white, television was black and white for me in those days, you know, you go to a cinema and the, the thing is, you know, so brightly coloured, it it it's it's a, it's an overload. It's like giving a kid, you know, a lot of colours.
0: So um, we're recording live. So let me just see if we get Dave back. So he's talking about his. He went to Disney at the cinema as a little kid with no, his sister. Uh, and I've just um, we lost your sound a little bit. So you were at the cinema with your sister going to Jungle Book. And back yeah. then we had black and white TV. So this color was a sensory overload, but such a beautiful world that captivated me. Yeah, yeah and I and I
1: think with some, a film like Jungle Book, I was, yeah, I I was in you know it, you know the wonderful. You know one thing it's got it's just got incredible music and I think it's probably got some of the best animation that was done um that the, the nine old men ever did, you know. So, you know, the, the drawing and the work of uh Baloo the Bear and Mowgli and and, you know so again I think it, it was just it was just charming, it was it was entertaining, it was um, you know, it it there was a story there as a child I obviously could engage with which was obviously this young Mowgli character sort of trying to trying to work his way out and where he is in the world which is exactly what you know all of us are doing at that age you know um so yeah I think that I think you know that was a sort of big influence at that point um you know and I think growing up as I got older I, I I was you know I was still into the Disney films but I think I think it was the short subjects. It was things like the Tom and Jerry still that stayed with me. It, it was the comedy, um, you know. As I began to understand the whole sort of short subject world, you know, in the early '80s and whatever, as I headed towards college, I I got into as well. I think I got into things like Tex Avery, um, and that sort of kind of totally, you know, zany animation that was done there for those sort of films, and you know, that sort of broke so many um boundaries in that sense in terms of what you could do to a kind of character stretching it and distorting it and uh the worlds that were created um so i I think in a way you know you know i'm reflecting back there's quite a few influences i've got as as a creator as a director and i think you know certainly i the tom and jerry's were one and um you know but equally i think watching um, some of the silent movie films that were, you know, both, you know, when I, you know, my father's, um, you know, Christmas party thing, and, and also they were put on television in those days. They were still showing them widely on television, um, like the Laurel and Hardy and the uh, Charlie Chaplin and, and Buster Keaton films, you know, and that broad humor. I, I, I liked that. Um, but I liked, I liked also the more sensitive storytelling, you know, the things that you, you found in, in Jungle Book. And, and then even when I got a little bit older, as it goes, you know, and you come across things like Akira, and and you know the sort of Japanese films and things like that. And I, yeah, so I think you know, I I, I wouldn't say there's one one film that drove me as a creator and a director and a storyteller. I think ultimately there's quite a few that have driven me. Um, you know. Uh, you know, one of the one of the areas that I ended up working in, which I really enjoyed, was working on Mr. Bean, which is you know the the character created by Rowan Atkinson. Um, I mean, he originally created it as a live action character in in the nineteen nineties, early nineteen nineties, and I think it's last year. I think it's been going for thirty years, which is quite something when you think about it. But this character has lasted this long and
0: thirty years. That's a long thirty year. years.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know whether he'll do any more live action, but <clears throat> I think certainly um, you know they they've, they've done quite a bit of the animation ones and whatever. And it's it's one of the highest subscriber uh, YouTube channels out there. I think it's got something like twenty million subscribers to Mr Bean channel. It's it's huge, um, um, you know. And uh, my experience of working with that, you know, one of the things that I found myself when I was given the opportunity to direct some of those, um, you know, I, I looked at what. Uh, Rowan as a creator had done you know and obviously looking at the live action ones and some of the earlier animated films that they'd made um but I also looked at what influenced him and I know that one of the characters and one of the actors and performers that influenced him heavily was Jacques Tati the French director and performer um and that was that was although I've watched his films and I certainly watched um you know at Mission Hula Holiday which is the famous one and I think um, probably that you know some listeners might have heard of at least or perhaps um, you know come across it at some point um, you know I, I think one of the, the great things about all of these things is is watching somebody's craft and having watched a lot of Rowan's craft on his live-action work um, then to go and watch what influenced him and Jack Tatty's craft I think was really interesting for me and it, it, it sort of I think it helped me get into the into what I needed to do with that character, um, and and help you know the the, the run of episodes. I, I sort of I did twenty six of them, um, and and finding my route into them because I know that you know every a lot of other people have made some already and. Um, you know, you always want to think, well, what, what, what am I going to do that's different? And at the same point, people don't want different. What they want is more of the same. But you kind of got to find something else there to, to sort of give it a little bit more. And I think, um, you know, looking about how Tatty worked and whatever. Um, and I, I found I rediscovered some of the stuff that, as a child that I'd enjoyed. I sort of went back and looked at Buster Keaton again and, and that wild and big physical comedy that he did. Um, And again, I I found this time around, I had a much better appreciation of him both as a performer, uh, director and and ultimately a creator. And I think the way he crafted his films, and I think anybody starting out, I I don't think it's a bad place to go and look, is to go and have a look at some of those silent films again. Um, You know, they are there on YouTube and you can find them quite easily. I think um you know i think there's a lot that's dated about them and obviously some of the the moral attitudes are dated and 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 not correct but equally i think the filmmaking and the storytelling i think there are things in there about how they think and about how they're created and communicated with the audience i think it it, certainly for somebody involved in animation there's still value there to to be had and and still something to to take in um but i you know doing something like mr bean i mean you know we we worked you know obviously for us it was a it was a script driven show because that was how um you know rowan had worked uh, and created the other ones the the original ones and, um so we worked very heavily with the script and made sure that those felt tight and that the comedy was there but i still felt i had the opportunity to to go into the script and and lift things and um you know, that was, that was one of the great pleasure of it, of finding things and just being able to list out the comedy and whatever. Um, and, and a character like Mr. Bean is, 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 is quite carefully constructed. He's, he, he doesn't naturally sit in a cartoon world. He doesn't sit naturally in, you know, in the, he isn't Tex Avery's, one of Tex Avery's cartoon characters. He, you know, his eyes don't bolt when he's shocked or anything like that. He's, he's quite real. Um, you know his reactions are relatively real, in how he responds to situations. Um, a lot of it is what's going on in the head. And when you watch Rowan Atkinson as a performer, I think that's so much about him as a performer. Whether it's in Mister Bean or Blackadder or anything he does, in fact, um, you know, I think that there's there's a lot of you know what is present on is, is is thinking on screen, and that was something I wanted to get back to. I wanted to find that in our animated version i wanted to pull that into it as well um you know getting getting him to have the time on screen so he was thinking and that the audience could see that you know because you can sort of see it in his face where he's working things out he's always got this little scheme that he's always trying to he's trying to resolve a problem that he's created and it's a lot of it is about how you know allowing the audience to enjoy the moment of him thinking before all of these things happen, that eventually the pratfall happens, you know. Before the thing that happens that actually causes the big physical moment that quite often takes place, um, you know, it, it's getting to those. It's that journey to that point that I think is quite interesting, as uh, you know, both as a director and and, and also watching somebody like uh, like him perform, you know. So, um, you know, that was that was something I was very conscious on on the ones that I I helped work on and, and, and write, you know directing bits and pieces so um yeah i i you know one of the things i found as well is that i looked at these big physical bits that we wanted to do sometimes with mr bean and i found that to make it believable one of the tricks i found and also to convince um you know uh, my audience which is often you know my producers and my you know and 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 run was an exec producer on the show was to actually act it out so you know one of the things that we had at one point was um he was in a tunnel in an under tunnel and he and he falls forward and he he kind of holds himself a position and it's 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 he's almost horizontal he's not quite horizontal but he's almost horizontal and then be- something's happened behind him that's what's made him fall and that's fine but then there was a moment where he had to get himself up and back up on this ledge again and he, he you know I, I went outside and you know I was working at home that particular day and I I found the two walls that were about the right distance and I literally tried it a couple of times about how I would do it and oh I eventually I worked out what the <laughs> what the acting and the performance would be in order to do that and then that's what we boarded and then you know when we came to record um you know Ran that to create the voices that's what i described to him i was able to describe to him what the physicality of the process was that he needed to do and um and then he was able to engage with that as a performer and, and um because you know, often when you're in a, a voice recording booth you know you you can't suddenly move around very frantically you know you have to be careful not to sort of not the microphone or whatever and you know you can't wave your arms around too much because it creates air and stuff around the mic and stuff so you you know you have to contain yourself so you know for him and myself to you know that was how we that was how i worked it out and and how how, you know sort of helped to explain it and i and i found that quite a useful process to actually do those sort of things and um you know it, it sort of eventually led to me hanging off my shed roof um, one day when I realized I had, I had the character hang, oh, he's got to hang off the roof, I know, I'll climb up on my roof and I'll see what that feels like. And then I kind of realized, well, this is possibly getting a little bit dangerous, but, you know, um, you know again, it was, it was that experience. And I suppose that goes back to me also being an animator. And I always felt as an animator when I was, you know, originally uh, was a drawn animator, I always had to act something out to understand how to get it onto paper. I always had to walk around. I always had to wave my arms around as, as a, as a, as whatever character it was. Um, you know, if, it, if I was being a dog or something like that, I'd get down on the floor and I'd, you know, I'd suddenly start performing like the dog should do if it had to be. you know, because I wanted to feel, I had to feel it in my body to understand what the movement was. Um, you know, so that I could actually transcribe that onto paper, or you know, give that instruction to somebody else. So um, that's certainly, um, and I still do that. I, I still, you know, I can suddenly find myself jumping up in front of my monitor at the moment, talking to a storyboard artist and say, "No, like this." You know, I need, I need it to look like this, or do, you know, and I'm waving my arms around and whatever. Um, and i'm not sure how much they're getting at this point on zoom or google meets or whatever it is but um you know i i believe i'm communicating
0: it at that point so so live action is um really like the, so, so um do you have any tips as a director for live action how that's how you have to execute like you said like um the communication and the physicality ex, ex, you know explaining to the crew and the cast
1: um, I certainly like to if you know in normal circumstances when uh, you know when we can all meet in a room and, and work together which I think I think you know certainly as a director and a, as a creative person I think that's a, it's a healthier world to be in because you communicate in, in a much better way um, I like to talk through you know if I'm briefing in an episode to the animators I like I like to show the animatic which is you know my, I spend a lot of time with the animatic. It's my most important working tool. I think, you know, I try to get everything, all the timing as right as I possibly can. I try to get the posing where I want it so that I think it communicates the best it possibly can to, to lay out and to uh, to the animators and to everybody else in the process beyond. Um, but I still like using that. And then, you know, depending on how much time we've got, I will still walk through this episode and I will, Act bits
0: out. I will talk it through. I might try and show something. Um, you know, I think
1: these days with the world of um, with the world of YouTube, um, you know, everybody tends to use reference clips and whatever. Um, I find myself these days as well, especially in the sort of action adventure world that I'm in a little bit at the moment. I tend to like to use little bits of previs pre-visualization work. Um, you know, we quite often on the show that I'm currently working on, we quite often sort of use um, temporary models of sets. And I quite find that quite useful to be able to sort of like work out staging sometimes and, um, you know, maybe shoot the old thing. I mean, I'll, you know, I'll sometimes make something here and just get my iPhone and, you know, do something. And, you know, last last year I was working on a show i wanted this thing where i had a dog's point of view running around the lounge in a manic way in a sort of comic scene i literally thought okay how do i explain this to storyboard and i got my iphone and i literally pretended to be the dog i i got around and i shot it as this point of view thing and jumped up onto the onto the sofa and you know the dog gets hold of the cushion so i did that and threw it out and tossed it around and whatever and things like that and um you know I think that helps communicate well. Things like that, you know, because it can be quite a difficult thing to transcribe those sort of ideas sometimes. Also, for the storyboard artist to actually think, how on earth do I visualise that? You know, um, so I think you know that those tools. I think you know that sort of thing. I think you know I'm careful about when I start working on a project what I watch. I'm careful about what I read as well. I find that when I'm working on a series, it's quite difficult to read novels for pleasure um i think it's quite often because i'm carrying you know so many episodes in my head the storylines are so many episodes in my head it's not that i get confused it's i kind of get i find myself there's a little bit of influence coming into things sometimes i think okay i don't want that influence so i I need to set that aside so i'm quite careful i don't necessarily read when i'm working on scripting in particular with the the writers and stuff I, i keep i don't tend to read a novel Partly because I'm also reading so many scripts, and you know, you, there's only so much that you can read during one day. But um, uh, you know, and I'm also careful about what I watch because I can think, you know, you you can spiral sometimes. Everybody says, "Oh, watch this or watch that," and you kind of you watch these things, and suddenly you think, "I've seen this shot somewhere before." Oh yes, it was what I watched last week, you know. And and I, so I'm I, I'm you know, I think that it's right to have influence. And that's why. Like doing the Bean stuff, I took the step back to look at what it influenced, um, you know, the creators of whatever Bean. Um, and I, I think that's probably, for me, it's not right for everybody, but I think for me, that was that was the right way to do it, you know?
0: Yeah. It's like on my kids' podcast and Trendy Book Reads, I try not to watch anything because I create uh, original stories for kids every week. and. I just create on my own and I don't watch it. I don't really have time to watch anything else. Cause when you're creating a show a week for almost two years, um, that's global, that's hit number one around the world. You know, it's, I have kids waiting for new stories. So I, I'm just so busy I don't have to, like you said, don't even have time to read a novel or watch anything, especially if you're a creator, but I love how you're a director, hands on, you're like, you know, you, you do the physicality. Cause a lot of people are like, they love directing tips they you know animation is so huge right now there's like adult animation there's anime animation there's kids animation and they're like is it preschool what grade but you've got to work on the most iconic things like like 30 years mr bean and comedy i was going to ask you to do comedy it's really hard to do what comes across funny that's like a very special skill especially in live action or anything that comedy and directing comedy and get it where it's funny on the screen for thirty years. That's amazing. Congratulations.
1: Well, I, I certainly did not do it for thirty years with Mr. Bean, but I, I did my little portion of, uh, of some of the animated ones. Yeah, um, I, I think any, I think comedy is very difficult, and, and, and comedy is also taste. I mean, it's you know that's the thing that some people, you know, probably don't like Mr. Bean. You know, um, some people like verbal comedy; they like you know sharp dialogue. Um, But I, I, you know, I think with something like, um, I think, I think with a kind of program like Mr. Bean, I think one of the things I I realized very early on when I was working on it, and and seeing, you know, in those days, YouTube would put the comments up for the the clips and stuff like, I think they've stopped all of that now, but, um, you know, you would read it and you realize the impact it was having on kids, not just in, in the United States or in Europe, but in india in in places like thailand and you would read these clips and they would just adore this character they they just loved the character and and i suppose he was a grown up i think at the basis of it, he was a grown up man who acted like a child yeah and they right. identified with it that and it's, it's it's a very it's a simple premise in a way you know and 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 that's the beauty of it and i think that if i think that's a lot to do with comedy i think it has to have at, at the end of it it has to be quite a simple sort of um thing about it you know and, and a lot of that early you know uh visual comedy um you know like with people like whatever it, it was kind of a very simple premise you know um actually sort of create that um, you know it's it's interesting i mean you know comic tastes and, and i and i work at, you know the show i'm doing at the moment has got um it has comedy in it some of it's verbal some of it's physical. Uh, some of it, I would describe it as being more character based. Um, and, you know, so you are always looking at it and thinking, right, OK, uh, am I doing enough with this moment? Have I got something I can I can pull out of this at this point? Um, you know, sometimes it, it might be thinking, oh, if she only just looked at camera at this moment or, um, you know, or just looked a little, little bit longer. Um, you might get the audience to, to get that thought or that kind of comic idea across. And so, yeah, I, for me, it's something that's always there. I mean, you know, animation, you know, as a medium, you know, it's heart is comedy, I would say, um, you know, storytelling, of course, but, you know, I think, you know, for a lot of people, when it boils down to it, you know, they, they want, they wanted it to make them feel good and to make them laugh and whatever. Um, so I think, you know, it's a big part of it. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, Kids as an audience, you know, you know, I'm, you know you, you're doing storytelling for kids and whatever, you know, it's a difficult audience as well because you know they change rapidly, <laughs> you, know, um, you know, you know your your six-year-old is into one thing and then you know three months later the mind's change you know, they've grown up a little bit, you know, somebody at school has introduced them to something else, a bit older orientated. And they, they've they've left, you know. Suddenly they've left behind one world and left into another world. And cognitively, I think, I mean, for me as a, as a director, again, I would say, you know, uh, children as an audience, I think, uh, I think are really a kind of quite a tough audience because, you know, what what works for, um, you know, what works for a, um, you know, five year old doesn't work quite the same way for a six-year-old. Seven or eight year old sometimes, you know, and the change can happen. And, um, you know, an animation itself is a very difficult technical medium. So it's a challenge. It's a challenge directing animation.
0: Yeah. Hey, can you, um, I know you work on um, uh, the Legos Nexo's um, nights and um, you're working on this amazing new project with Netflix. Is there anything you want to share with us um, as you can tell us anything at all to give us any little hints?
1: Okay, all right, so the show I'm working on now is a comedy action adventure show. Um, it's based on four superheroes, and these four superheroes are from Africa. And they're four superhero girls, and they're fantastic, these characters. Um, they, they've been, um, the studio I'm working with is based in South Africa. And the stories themselves are based in Lusaka, which is in Zambia, which is in the southern part of Af- uh, the southern part of continent Africa. And um, the stories are around, you know, there's some African themes in there. It's to do with power, um, you know, political power, but also which is you know, kind of expressed in a way that's appropriate for children, that they can understand, you know, that somebody wants to control the city um just as you might do in a batman series or whatever. but there's also some themes in there which are very much to do with um kids growing up in africa the kids themselves have got um sort of uh you know backgrounds and her, her, uh you know family um you know dynamics that reflect how things are in africa which is you know which is different ultimately you know um but yeah so maybe um you know we can sort of uh talk a little bit more about that that's another point but uh, you know i i think you know as a show it, it's going to be really exciting i'm i'm you know really enjoying making it at the moment and um, you know we have a fantastic crew in south africa and a fantastic crew in paris and uh, a great crew in london so i'm that's what i'm doing at the moment that'll be out next year
0: oh nice I, and dave do you have a website or where um anyone can keep up with um when it's uh, how they can keep up with you or your projects
1: Uh, I do have a website. I don't generally keep any of my projects up. Well, I've, they can certainly go and have a look at what I've made in the past, and that's called um, it's www.zestanimationlimited.com. And uh, Zest Animation is my own little company that I use.
0: Oh great, right. And is there social media or anything that you want them to see what you're working on or what's coming up?
1: Um, I don't have anything like that. I'm afraid. No. I do really? I don't. I probably should. You've exposed my weakness now, but I yeah, probably should,
0: but like, too, I, like, I don't. I, I, I like most of the creatives here like social media on top of being a creator and you're like you're directing and you're you, there's just so many things. But we just wanted to say just we're so happy came to the show to tell us um, about your amazing how your incredible journey from watching that film from Tom and Jerry with your dad's office party to to working on animation and becoming this fantastic director. Like I said, comedy is so hard to pull visually. You can write comedy. You can do stand-up comedy. But to have it work visually, too, it's, it's very hard. And you've done some of the most iconic, most wonderful animation content. And we're just wishing you and uh, saying good luck on your new project with Netflix. Congratulations. And we're excited to for have you come back and tell us about more stuff that you're working on. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, Dave.
1: Thanks very much for your time. It's been great. I really enjoyed talking about it. Thanks very
0: much. Yeah, and thanks for listening, and make sure you check out part one and part two with Dave Osborne, really David Osborne, but his name <laughs> we, we spoke about is Dave, and he's an incredible director, an animation director in 2D and 3D, and he's amazing projects coming up, and thank you so much for listening, everyone. Have a great day, and do check out um, the summary and our podcast. You'll get all the descriptions and links to our amazing new things. And thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day.